Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the American Talk Podcast. I am your host, Joseph Abrams, and we have a busy schedule for you today. We uh, are going to take kind of a different approach from our last podcast uh, where we focus on a single theme, and today we're going to hit on three separate themes. First and foremost, we're going to pay tribute to Senator John McCain. Uh, and our deepest sympathies to his family. Uh, in addition to that, we are going to look at the vacancy that his um, untimely death uh, creates and how uh, Governor Doug Ducey will then fill it. And then we're going to kind of transition into articles of impeachment. A lot happened with the Trump presidency. And so we're going to take a historical look at impeachment as well as uh, what a President Trump impeachment would really look like and if it would have a market impact. So there is a lot on the docket for you today with the American Talk. I hope you're having a great week. Just a reminder, I am holding, oh man, I think we've got about 10 bumper stickers left a ten dollar donation at the americantalk.com we will send you a bumper sticker uh it goes a long way really helps the show out I, i've seen that people are posting on instagram about when they get their bumper sticker so please keep that going and as always remember to share this podcast let your friends and family know that you listen to the american talk without further ado let's get started A little bit of a longer intro for you there as we all just take a moment to rethink uh, about the life of Senator John McCain. It is one that is highly accomplished. Uh, he has done a, a lot for this nation. As many of you know, he did serve in the United States Navy uh, where he was a pilot. He served in the Vietnam War where he was shot down and taken captive as a POW. And that is the moment he would look back and say that's when he truly fell in love with his country. It's an interesting quote, but it's one that makes you realize that this was a man of service. And he really was. He, he served our nation with distinct, distinction. He earned the Purple Heart, the Distinguished uh, Flying Cross. He, he did a lot for our nation before he ever became a senator. In fact, he kind of reminds me of... Uh, President Washington in the sense of he didn't really owe the nation anything prior to taking public office. In fact, if he wanted to not run for senator and and not aspire to be a politician, I I don't think anyone would have held it against him because of the life of service he truly lived up until that point. But then he would become elected uh, senator, filling the ginormous shoes of Barry Goldwater and shoes I think he filled uh, to the brim. He established a long-standing trend of supporting the military. He encouraged reforms of the VA uh, and, and really helped push President Bush's agenda of securing the United States from acts of terrorism and hunting down Osama bin Laden. He is a man that is known for his civility. In fact, I remember uh, this quote when a town hall, when he was running for president, Uh, Back in 2008, and in a town hall meeting, a woman got up and said she didn't trust President, or I'm sorry, then-Senator Barack Obama because he is, quote, an Arab. McCain countered and said this, quote, No ma'am, no ma'am, he is a decent family man, a citizen that I just happened to have disagreements with on fundamental issues, and that's what this campaign is all about. He is not. 
thank you. Right there, a man of civility, a man who did not take the opportunity, like other Republicans did, to call Senator Barack Obama an Arab, a Muslim, or anything of the like. Senator McCain was decent and dedicated his life to truth and service, and that is one thing I think we should all remember. I'd like to leave you with one of his greatest quotes, and that happened in the 2004 Republican, Republican National Convention uh, when he was, you know, sparring for President Bush. And he said this, quote, We are Americans first, Americans last, and Americans always. Let us argue our differences, but remember, we are not enemies, but comrades in a war against a real enemy, and take courage from the knowledge that our military superiority is matched only by the superiority of our ideals and our unconquerable love for them. I think we should all take heart in the late senator's words. He is a man who's done much for this country, but also for the state of Arizona. So let's take a brief pause from this podcast and remember him. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Our wishes really do go out to the McCain family, as we know this is a very hard time uh, for them, not just with losing a husband or a father, but also the fact that they're thrust into the limelight and having to field a plethora of questions. Uh, One thing that I do not like about the media is how quickly they want to just get over the human emotion that is uh, the loss of losing a loved one. Uh, you see this with mass shootings, but you also see it with prominent figures as well. They very quickly want to get onto the narrative. Uh, and so I, I do not feel for the McCain family as they're going to be fielding a ton of questions. And I really do hope they get some time to just sit back and mourn. It's uh, important, not just uh, for the family, but also for the well-being of a nation, uh, a nation that remembers its public servants well uh, and aspires to be like them is a nation that is headed in the right direction. So I hope we all take time out and remember the late senator's words. But nevertheless, our country will progress. It will move forward. And it'll be interesting to see how Arizona in particular moved forward without Senator McCain. Uh, Governor Doug Ducey will have the honor of appointing a new senator to, f- to fill out the remaining two years until the next election, which will be 2020 during the presidential election. And there's a lot of names floating around about who he should select. Uh, for me personally, I don't think there's any name greater than Senator John Kyle. Now, for those of you who do not know, Senator Kyle did retire and was not really going to ever seek election again, but he did serve hand-in-hand with Senator McCain for uh, close to 12 years, uh, maybe even more, maybe, uh, well, potentially more, but definitely for 12 years, and they were close colleagues, close friends, uh, and, it, and it would be interesting to see if Senator Kyle would come out of retirement um, from politics to fill his close friend's seat for the remainder of his tenure for the next two years. This seems like a clear pick, and I I believe most Republicans would be very excited to have Senator Kyle back on Capitol Hill. He was a staunch conservative, uh, a 
lifelong supporter of President Reagan, President Bush, and one who really helped keep the conservative ideas alive on Capitol Hill. Uh, he was also a, a physical uh, Republican, so he was believed in lowering the debt and deficit, and he is wildly popular in Arizona. I believe that Governor Ducey would have a slam-dunk pick by selecting Senator, former Senator Kyle to fill the vacancy, but there's also practical reasoning here as well. Uh, Senator Kyle clearly knows how Capitol Hill works. It it could be as simple as a plug-and-play. He has good allies on the Hill. Um, The Republican mainstream would like him. Arizona would like him. And it, it also pays homage to Senator McCain. I believe if uh, Senator McCain had his choice, um, I believe it probably would be Senator Kyle as they were close friends. So it, it'll be interesting to see who Governor Ducey picks. I, if I was in Governor Ducey's um, seat, I would definitely support and probably offer the position to Senator Kyle. Uh, it's just the easiest route to go. Um, you wouldn't really need to make a new name for anyone in order to get that seat filled. So, uh, But at the same time, Senator Kyle is a prominent lawyer. Uh, he might not wish to take that on. I mean, he, he's been doing a lot for Republican campaigning, and, and he kind of has his own way of life at this point. So Senator Kyle might not want the position. Uh, in fact, Senator Kyle could have easily ran for re-election, I believe, back in 2012 and, and won. I don't think he would have had any problem there, but he decided to step down from being a senator. Uh, and, and so who knows? Maybe Senator Kyle doesn't even want the position. At that point, the race is fairly wide open. There's a couple of picks within the Ducey cabinet, um, and we'll kind of explore those as they come out. But right now, I think the main stream picks are going to be the top two, which is Senator Kyle, and then uh, Cindy McCain, wife of John McCain, has also been floated. So you could see Governor Ducey go that route as well. Uh, however, I would um, probably think Cindy McCain would not get the spot uh, for multiple reasons. One is it only really plays well on the front of honoring honoring John McCain. It doesn't really play well uh, with mainstream Republicans, especially the Trump campaign. Um, I don't think they would want to see Sidney McCain in there. Uh, and, and so... And also, you don't really get that. You, you'd have a huge educational gap of she doesn't fully understand probably the uh, working of Capitol Hill. Surely not to the degree Senator Kyle did. Um, so, you know, I think probably John Kyle's first, and then it's probably an open ballot at that point. But you never know. Um, we, we do have some campaigns coming up. If Martha McSally did get upset by uh, Dr. Kelly Ward and lost their primary, or anything like that, um, maybe you could see Martha McSally get the nomination um, to put her in a better spot for a re-election in 2020. So there's a lot going on there that it's kind of, you know, a little shadow of puppets, but I hope what you take away from there is that Senator Kyle might not be fully retired, that he might serve an additional two years in the U.S. Senate to fill the vacancy of John McCain. But nevertheless, our deepest condolences and sympathies with the McCain family. So... That kind of concludes our first part, our first part, which was, you know, honoring the life of Senator John McCain and, and kind of looking forward. But there is also a second piece that I wanted to hit on because some recent allegations have come out against two of probably the most powerful people in the world. Uh, the first was President Trump, and, and these allegations have been out there, but recently in the last week, he suffered a wave of defeat. So um, you have... 
multiple people, his personal lawyer taking a plea deal and seeming to point that he has substantial evidence against President Trump as far as campaign finance law and other things like that. You also have a, um, a conviction that happened with his former campaign chairman. And then in addition to that, uh, you have high-ranking Trump officials. Um, well, I mean, not current Trump officials, but uh, part of the Trump Foundation or in the Trump Tower uh, Corporation taking plea deals um, across the board with a special prosecution. So Trump is clearly not happy with this. He's clearly disgruntled and, and, and all this good stuff. But all that leads to what I would consider the, the culmination, which is impeachment. Now, impeachment might be the only constitutional phrase that Democrats know. It's surely the only one they've been using recently, uh, especially when they go over Medicare for all or abolishing ICE. But the irony is that they did find one thing in the Constitution, and it is the sole thing that can remove President Trump, and those are the articles of impeachment. And, and what is impeachment? I mean, it, it kind of gets you down this, this weird legality of a gray area. And here's why. I mean, if you, if you just take a strict constitutional approach it is vague inside the Constitution. It basically says a president can be impeached for high crimes, treason, or misdemeanors, or, or and misdemeanors. So kind of from a legal sense, that's a, a vast variety. I mean, to prove Trump is treasonous would be a, a very tough, tall order, even if he did somehow have some connection to the Russian um, side of events. It would be very tough to prove that he was treasonous or high crimes. But the misdemeanors, I mean, that, that's fairly easy, especially when you start talking about campaign finance law, uh, which if he was paying off former lovers as like a, uh, a hush story or bearing money, it could surely be a violation of campaign finance law. A, a important piece to note is that John Edwards also did this, um, and it was ruled that it was not a a uh, violation of campaign finance law, but he actually got a fair hearing. I mean, he had to go before a judge and a jury. President Trump will most likely not be uh, that lucky. He will most likely have to face a Democratic House that is looking to file articles of impeachment. So how will this be done? And, and it's important to note that some of this is a gray area, and, and I'm using um, kind of future sight to kind of piece some things together. But this is how I think the Democrats will go. And, and I'm going to note some key differences on the way forward. But first and foremost, they have to wait for the special prosecution to be over. Um, now, that's kind of the first piece that uh, people don't fully understand, is that they really, they really should wait. Uh, Robert Mueller has done a, a very in-depth job. He's taken a lot of time, surely. I wish to some degree he would hurry up. But it would be wrong for the Democrats to try to rush impeachment here. So if, if Robert Mueller is not done by the time Democrats are sworn in, I mean, if they, if they do indeed take the House coming up in this election, and they have a majority in the House, and they get eager, they don't wait for Robert Mueller to finish his his case against President Trump, and they hurried the decision and tried to file articles of impeachment without Robert Mueller, they would be in a world of hurt. I, I, and, I, and I mean that pretty sincerely. I don't think the American people would look fondly upon that. I think they would have a tough uphill battle. 
So that's going to be the first piece. And really what I question Democrats with is you I'm not saying you can't impeach the president. But what I am saying is you have to wait for the special counsel to finish his uh, investigation. And, and you really have to make sure that what's in his report is something that is worthy of impeachment. And I mean, take an unbiased approach and say, if President Obama did the exact same acts, we would still look for impeachment. And I know I'm asking for an extraordinarily tall order, and I'm not going to get it, and I get that. But when you read impeachment, that is what the founders had in mind. They wanted to make sure that this was a last-ditch effort, that the president had done something so bad that the American people could not turn their eyes away from and, in fact, couldn't wait for the next election, that he had to be forcibly removed from office. Because remember, the founders were big believers that once you were elected, you had a right to mostly finish out your term. There's very few cases in which the founders wanted an impeachment. They have almost course for any public official to be impeached, but it's clear that the founders believed that through the election process— Public servants could either be in or out of office. That a senator, um, if you don't agree with him, he should be uh, campaigned against and a new person should be elected. That just because you don't like him doesn't mean that you get to impeach him. And that's going to be the first trap Democrats are going to have to navigate. Is they're going to have to convince the American people this isn't some this isn't some witch hunt. That this isn't something that they just sincerely want. That they just don't want President Trump so badly that they are willing to file impeachment without the special counsel um, completing his investigation. So that'll be the first piece. And that is going to be an uphill battle because if they split this on partisan lines, I do not know impeachment to be possible. And here's why. I do believe that President Trump will be at some point impeached in the House of Representatives. I almost feel like it's uh, a foregone conclusion. And, and, and I could be totally wrong here, but I believe that Democrats will most likely win a majority in in 2018, in this upcoming midterm election. I think they will retake the House. I think it'll be by a thin margin. I don't think it's a blue wave that people are really citing, but I do think they're going to gain enough seats to overtake the House. Articles of impeachment, according to the Constitution, just need a majority in order for impeachment. So that means the House can convict and push it to the Senate. And, and, and that's what I mean by I think Trump will probably face impeachment and the House will convict him and push the issue to the Senate. But what happens here is very interesting. Once it gets to the Senate, it needs a supermajority, so a two-thirds majority, in order to convict and remove the President of the United States. Good examples are President Clinton was convicted of two items in the House of Representatives. He was convicted of obstruction of justice and perjury because he lied under oath about Monica Lewinsky uh, and, and the ordeal that happened there. But once it was pushed to the Senate, they did not convict, did not uphold, and acquitted him, as much as that phrase means, of those charges. And so President Clinton got to hold on to his post. In addition, uh, President Johnson, who was the president after Abraham Lincoln, was convicted overwhelmingly in the House and and uh, fell one vote shy in the Senate. So it is extraordinarily hard to fully convict and remove a president of the United States through articles of impeachment. And the reason being is the 
the founders really didn't want that to happen. And it, and it hasn't. Because they didn't really want it to happen, it hasn't happened in the history of the United States. That's important to remember when we talk about President Trump's impeachment. I do think he'll get impeached, but he will remain in his office. I think it will greatly hurt his re-election in 2020, but it could also play into his uh, cards. I mean, it, it could invigorate his base to keep him in office. And, and that really just boils down to what the special counsel can find and what Democrats want to push as their, uh, you know, great crime against uh, against America. If it turns out that really we're going to try to get Trump like we've gotten Robert Mueller and other, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Paul Manafort and other people, uh, then I don't think they're going to have much of a case. If it turns out they're, they're getting Trump on some tax crime that happened in 2010 or a campaign finance law that happened early in his presidential campaign, I think it'll be very tough to push for articles of impeachment that the American people will support. They might. They, they really might. But at that point, you're not going to win enough Republicans in the Senate to convict uh, President Trump and remove him from office because they would need 67 senators. Now, even if Republicans lose every seat up for grabs, I believe they'd still hold 34 seats. So the odds are that um, Republicans would probably remain a base loyal to Trump to that point. But if they can prove that President Trump did collude with the Russians and assist with hacking of the DNC and do all those items, you might be able to get the middle-of-the-road Republicans to swing uh, in, in favor of impeachment. It's a big if, and it's one that could definitely bite them in the butt. But nevertheless, that's kind of the case against President Trump. And so it'll go to the House. The House will most likely convict, especially if the Democrats get a, uh, a majority. But I think it would fail in the Senate. But with this is who wins? If they do that, who would win? And, it, and it's hard to tell. Uh, it's important to note that during President Clinton's uh, you know, impeachment, he held a 72% approval rating. They would still lose the election in 2000, and George W. Bush would win, but it was a very tight election, one that is, you know, uh, looked at in today as like, oh man, could have gone either way, and that's surely the case. So it's hard to really argue that the impeachment of President Clinton really hurt the Democratic Party. Uh, I mean, yes, they wouldn't hold the White House for the next eight years. But at the same time, I mean, it didn't hurt Clinton's approval ratings. It didn't hurt his agenda all that much. It's hard to really navigate on how impactful that was. With President Trump, it, it boils down to what the Democrats want to bring against him. If it's stuff that's not proven or unbiased and just seems partisan, they're not just hurting themselves with re-election. I think they're also going to open a Pandora's box. And here's what I mean. The, the uh, senators recently changed the votes needed to um, get a Supreme Court nominee. They changed the rules in the, in the committees so that filibusters don't need a majority or don't need 60 votes, I believe, to, um, to eliminate. So they would need only 51 to eliminate a filibuster. So a slim majority in the Senate could appoint a Supreme Court justice, could pass certain legislation. And this happened under President Obama. And because of those rules committees, Trump and the Republican majority that now holds the Senate have really taken advantage of this. And I, and I know I'm on a little bit of a tangent, but keep in mind this will play a role with the impeachment if Democrats want to go down this road. 
And because it really held in line, uh, Republicans changed uh, how they were going to appoint Supreme Court nominees. In fact, um, Neil Gorsuch was nominated and appointed to the Supreme Court using these new rules. They never got enough votes to get rid of a filler filibuster. So that was all a Pandora box that Democrats wanted to change the rules to push their agenda when they held the majority. And now the other side holds the majority and they're able to change the rules and push their agenda. The same idea could happen with impeachment. If Democrats go to impeach and they don't have a good argument and it kind of seems partisan, they also open the door for Republicans to go and impeach their future presidents. And I know it sounds crazy, and I'd hope Republicans wouldn't boil down to that, but you have to be very careful when you just start impeaching a president simply because you disagree with his policies. So once again, apply the President Obama standard. If President Obama did this, would we also seek impeachment? And I don't know if you have anything on Trump there, and I'm not trying to be biased. I'm just trying to state that I I don't see anything yet to come out of the special counsel's investigation that would make me think President Trump did something that was worthy of impeachment. He has not, up until this point, colluded with foreign nationals. He hasn't tried to jeopardize the United States national security. And so there is that little uh, side tangent that I think Democrats have to really remember, is that you know anything that we set as precedent can be used against us. So if Hillary Clinton got elected, and it was all her email scandals, and Republicans convicted her of impeachment, would we be happy with that? Absolutely not. Um, so make sure that your standard for impeachment is high and it's not one that you uh, want to lower just because you don't like the president. More than likely, an impeachment process will come back to bite Democrats in a number of ways. One is it invigorates the base of the other side. Typically, a president's base does not go out and vote. In fact, uh, even President Reagan lost majorities in the Senate and the House because his base, they only see the White House, and they see the president, and so they're not worried about voting, whereas uh, President Obama lost a huge majority. I mean, he never held a majority outside of his first two years in either the House or the Senate because the Republicans kept pushing uh, their agenda, and people were worried about President Obama, so they went out and voted, whereas President Obama's base voted in historically low levels when his uh, you know congressmen were up for election. So you don't ever want to give rise for the other side to go out and vote. You almost want to let uh, sleeping bears lie, so to speak. And so that's where I would really point to Democrats as that would be the first thing to bite you in the butt, is you would alert Republicans to the fact that they could lose their presidential candidate and their current president. That could really encourage his, vote, his voters to go out in mass. The second way it'll bite them in the butt is how we just described, by setting precedent that could be used against them in the future. And this is something that Republicans did during the Clinton campaign, and and that was something that they really got reminded of later, is that they brought not poor arguments, but kind of ticky-tacky arguments. I mean, aside from the president lying um, while he was under oath, it's, it's... it's a wishy-washy argument, at least to me. I mean, ultimately, I don't think he jeopardized the American security. You know, if you really look at the Constitution and look at acts of high crime and treason to start, it's hard for me to say President Clinton was committing treason uh, because he was having an extramarital affair. In fact, it's important to note that uh, Newt Gingrich was also having an extramarital affair. He just didn't lie about it. So 
and I would say Republicans did, to a degree, mess up in how they brought the case. They really needed to hammer the idea that Clinton lied, and because Clinton lied, that's what we're going after. Instead, it got mixed into this, oh, Republicans are legislating based off of morality. It's because Clinton had an affair, and that's why they're going after him. I would argue that is the wrong way to move forward. So take a step back. Democrats have to realize that they can make the same mistake I believe Republicans made in in the 1990s and set a bad precedent for impeachment. Uh, And so it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. But it's also important to note no president has ever been impeached and forcibly removed. There's only been two convictions of impeachment in history, and as we said, those were President Johnson uh, and President Clinton, but both remained in office. In fact, President Johnson uh, only held his office by one vote, and the quote of the senator who did not vote to convict had this to say. This is coming from Iowa Senator James Grimes, and he explained, I cannot agree to destroy the harmonious working of the Constitution for the sake of getting rid of an unacceptable president. And I think a lot of people would look back and say that might apply here, is that the Constitution does not really permit getting rid of what you may consider to be an unacceptable president. If you want that, you have to go win an election. And In fact, President Obama reminded that uh, of Republicans in the State of the Union. So that concludes kind of our second story tonight about President Trump and articles of impeachment. There's a lot happening there. We want to keep you posted as much as possible, but I hope you got an unbiased opinion there about what impeachment would actually look like. There's also the market side. If Democrats did impeach President Trump and the market would crash, they would be held responsible, right? That I mean, who else would you blame? President Trump has done a great job with the economy. That's surely been one of his... Uh, staples or or his campaign uh, points. And so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of navigate that. I mean, he's still sitting at a 42% approval rating, which is exactly what President Reagan had during his tenure. Uh, It's very similar to President Obama, who was sitting at 45 at this point, so only three-point margin there. Only President George W. Bush had a significantly higher approval rating. He was sitting at 67% during this time. So it'll be interesting to see how Democrats decide to navigate, but I think the foregone conclusion is that the House of Representatives will at some point convict impeachment for President Trump. Uh, But the bigger question here is whether or not the Senate will uphold the conviction. I I think if history is anything to be reminded, it is that they most likely will not. Uh, And it's a tall order. President Trump would be the first president forcibly removed uh, by the House of Representatives and the Senate. Um, the only other president who probably came close was Richard Nixon, uh, but he just decided to resign, which is always an option for President Trump. If he notices that the uh, you know the die is cast, so to speak, you may see President Trump decide to just resign and save the party. So a lot of different things happening there. But leads us to our final story tonight, one I didn't even mention in our opening. And it's kind of, it's a tough one. It's one that hits on uh, probably a tough subject, not one that people think about a lot. But recently, uh, well, honestly, not that recent, but the Catholic Church has struggled uh, with sexual purity and and sexual abuse claims uh, for a long time. But recently, they've come out in full force. Over 200 victims, and there might be, or there, there really are more, 
have claimed that they've been sexually abused, molested, uh, I believe some cases have rape or sexual assault listed against the cardinals and, and the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania. And so that alone is deplorable, and the Catholic Church is attempting to respond, and Pope Francis is coming to visit in order to respond to these allegations. And it does seem like there are uh, significant uh, inworkings about how these happened, that high-ranking officials knew about them, including police and potentially even attorney generals knew about this, and that they allowed the Catholic Church to kind of handle it themselves, which they didn't. I mean, most of these people accused are still high-ranking members in the Catholic Church as high as cardinals. And unfortunately, it doesn't end there. Most recently, people have uh, explained that the Pope has known about these claims. and In fact, Pope Francis knew about these and did not act against them. The reason this is a big deal is this could really hurt Catholics as far as uh, the United States goes. In fact, there might even be uh, legal ramifications uh, for the Pope if the United States wanted to explore that. I'm not saying they will, but I'm saying that knowing about something as, as terrible as molestation and not reporting it to officials is actually a crime in the United States. And so if, if it really is true that Pope Francis knew about these and, and did not decide to act firmly, which if the cardinal is still holding its post, it's pretty clear that the Pope did not act firmly, then you you really do hit a tough spot with what do you do with the Pope who knew about the molestation of kids and, and did not act. I think a legal argument could be won, but I, I would sincerely hope that the Catholic Church look inward for uh, repentance, forgiveness, but also for a changing of guard, uh, that this is one story too many. In fact, any story is one story too many. And, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that this is a Catholic-only problem. In fact, uh, religious leaders across the board at some point have had trouble. Um, Christians have had their fair share of neglect uh, when it comes to these issues. And they've had their own leaders convicted. Uh, Catholics as well, uh, and just high-ranking members from across the board, as I mentioned earlier. But the Catholic Church is in the limelight, and they have to figure out a way to get better at this. And so the the breaking story here is not just uh, the victims coming out in force, which I applaud them. If any of them are listening, well done. I think one of the good things to come out of the recent culture is the Me Too movement, uh, which can really help people get assistance and guidance and counseling but also justice. I think when the Me Too movement is done correctly, you're seeing people who were abused a long time ago give strength um, to being able to say, hey, look, I was abused and I need help. Uh, Not only that, but I also want to make sure that the person who abused me is not put in a position where they can do that again. And so that's one exciting thing that the Me Too movement has done. And it's really hit the Catholic Church hard. And, and so, once again, it's clear that the former Pope knew, uh, not Pope Francis, but the one uh, prior to him, and that he chose to act with discipline inside the Catholic Church, but Pope Francis decided not to. And, and so, that's really going to be the head story, and it's one we're going to want to watch closely and monitor, because 
Uh, Pope Francis is a powerful person in the world. In fact, uh, most people list him in the top five for most powerful people in the world. And and I don't know of any articles impeachment on the Catholic Church, so we'll have to look into that and see if there's any claims uh, of removing the, the sitting pope. I, I don't know if there are, and, and I apologize for that. Um, but we'll look into that, and that might be a future uh, podcast. But I do want to keep you posted on that, and, and it's one to watch because it's not just President Trump who's in hot water because of uh, sexual mishandlings. It's also uh, Pope Francis. Not that he acted uh, inappropriately towards anyone as far as he was the one committing sexual abuse, but he did, it appears, know about them. And so you have high-ranking officials in the Catholic Church who are kind of outing him. So stay posted for more on that. Uh, As more breaks, we will probably keep a close eye on it, as it is not often that one of the most powerful people in the world is uh, accused to that level. And it'll be interesting to see how the United States wants to handle it uh, on their end. I I, I really do believe that these victims uh, deserve justice. Um, I think sometimes the Catholic Church does prevent that. And so it'll be interesting to see how the Catholic Church wants to flex their muscles to protect these people, or if they'll just give them up and, and say, hey, they're, uh, they're fair game, and, and we'll see. It'll be interesting, because they might have to do that in order to save their own pope. Um, so a lot happening there, a lot happening with the United States. I mean, when you put that together, you have two of the most powerful people in the world uh, having strong allegations come out against them, and people are now wondering, like, oh, man, is it the end of the road for them? And, and remember, Pope Francis was seen as a turning page for the Catholic Church, as someone who could come in and clean a lot of this up, and they desperately needed a new face, and he was that for quite some time. And and, and this isn't to say Pope Francis hasn't done good things. He has. I mean, he, he has come out in strong support of the poor. Uh, he's come against uh, privatized prisons and for rehabilitation, and all those items are very good. But you do have a moment where it's like, how good can a guy be if he knew about these things and didn't act swiftly against them? Uh, And so that'll be the upcoming story. Um, And so, yeah, stay posted on that. A lot to come. But turbulent times in the world. And so I want to end with kind of uh, some good things, and, and that is that this podcast is growing. It'll continue to grow. I, I, uh, I've had a lot of fun with it, and I continue to have fun. It's something that teaches me to learn and uh, adjust, not just my approach, my marketing, but also public speaking, which is a good skill and talent to have. So thank you for listening to The American Talk. Please remember to go rate and subscribe uh, on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you might be listening. We've had a blast, and we will continue to have a blast. We will be back next Sunday where we cover various topics. Uh, Most likely, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the Catholic Church and where they can go after these allegations. But the news breaks constantly, and so there will be a lot to follow there, I'm sure. So thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week. Remember to go to theamericantalk.com. If you feel led, go ahead and donate. Get a bumper sticker. They're $10.00. Uh, Shipping is included. We'd love to see our brand grow that way. Uh, But thank you for listening and have a wonderful night.